1: Well, Jim, impeachment is the word of the week or the month. Or the year. Uh, it seems as if, yeah, or the year. It seems as if the whole world of politics has been turned upside down by the decision to hold impeachment hearings into President Trump. And anytime a president, or for that matter, a corporate leader, is removed from office or fired, it's because of evidence of bad leadership. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, is leadership.
2: I think we have kind of a crisis of leadership today, so we're gonna delve into that.
1: Davia Temin and Stephen Miles, our leadership crisis, and also how to be
0: a better leader. News, information, and misinformation circuit the globe at the speed of light. This is different from any other time in history. My rule is, If you want people to know something, they won't care. If you don't want them to know it, they will care very much and it'll be everywhere. You
3: have to work to build empathy-based relationships. These just don't happen having coffee with somebody. Basically, what you need to do is help somebody when you don't want something in return.
1: Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, you say that America has a crisis of bad leadership, not just in the White House, but also in other institutions. What do you mean?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, you can't miss it in the White House. Even people who support Trump's policies have to be dismayed about the haphazard way so much business is conducted and the, the, the bad communication, the idea that no one really knows what the policies are, where they stand. But you can also see it in the business world. Look at what's happening at Facebook. Look what's happening at WeWorks. I mean, that story is bizarre and amazing.
1: Yeah, Adam Newman, the CEO of WeWork, who'd been riding high and there had been this initial IPO expected on Wall Street, literally within days of a series of allegations made against him, was forced out.
2: You can line up billions and billions of dollars in investment and still be a total idiot.
1: So let's bring in Davia Temin, who's a crisis communications and leadership expert. And we spoke with her on episode 146. And we've learned so much about leadership and and indeed crisis communications from Davia. So I asked
0: her, why is leadership so important? We look to leaders to help guide us through both the normal exigencies of life and of work. And they're very important at that point. But in times of turmoil... It is even more important. We all need, all of us, even leaders need a guiding star that is going to help to show us the right way to do things. And I think the morally sound way to do things. And that is why leadership is particularly important right now, because we are living in a very muddy universe.
2: That brings up the occupant of the White House. Mm What do you see happening in terms of leadership in our presidency right now?
0: Well, I do have a particular point of view on this, and and I'm not going to hide it because I think it's not the time to hide these things. I think that what America needs and what the world needs is a moral and effective, pragmatic and idealistic voice of leadership in the White House. And I think we don't have that now.
2: When you say pragmatic and idealistic. That's right.
0: Well, because I think at the same time, you have to chart the purpose and the goal and the best case for America and all of us in the world. And um, that's the idealism that we all look for, the moonshot, if you will. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we need a pragmatic and effective guide to help us get there, because This is nuance. This is tough stuff. Leadership is not for the faint of heart. And real leadership can suck every day. It is very difficult to do it right. Who knew it would be so difficult? Well, (laughs) the people who aspire to that role had better know it's that difficult. So where does Trump, in your opinion, fall down as a leader? Well, I don't think that he's a moral center. I don't think he embodies our best self. I don't think that he helps us envision how we can make the world better. Maybe to a small minority of people he is doing that, but I think to the majority, certainly to the majority of young people, I don't think he does. And I think that leadership means you set an example on every level.
1: Setting a good example is a vital part of leadership, but so is the way that decisions are made. And we're going to talk about that next because in a rapidly changing world, being too rigid or dogmatic can come at tremendous cost.
2: So Richard, you know, I don't know if most of our Listeners know that aside from doing How Do We Fix It, your company, Davies Content, is producing podcasts for a number of clients. You've kind of become the podcast whisperer. And one of the ones that I really like is called C-Suite Intelligence with Stephen Miles. Tell us about how that came about.
1: Yeah, C-Suite Intelligence is is a new podcast about leadership lessons that have been learned by Stephen, who is the founder and CEO of the Miles Group. Stephen is in charge of a team of executive coaches to some of the world's best-known corporate executives. And in this extract, he talks about the importance of having a growth mindset instead of a fixed view of the world. Stephen says having a fixed view can kill your company or your organization.
3: Yeah, and he doesn't beat around the bush. It comes in slowly, it creeps in, and like a cancer, it takes you over and eventually kills you. And it, if you're a company, the way it kills you is you, know, you don't have success anymore, and that success leads to an activist, and you get sold, you become a part of a larger organization, or you simply just go out of business. And so the costs associated with stasis are extremely high.
1: What are some of the signs of stasis or a fixed mindset?
3: The simple way to think about this is that uh, sort of number one is the organization takes an inside-out view of the world versus an outside-in view. And it seems really simple, but The manifestation of that in terms of culture and mindset is that we don't actually have a lot to learn on the outside. We actually have our way of doing business. It's better than everybody else's way of doing business, and therefore we don't need to study everybody else in the detail that we would have had earlier in our tenure as a company. So
1: give me an example of the the outside-in model really working, flexibility towards the marketplace and, and your likely competition.
3: Well, I think what happens when you become fixed is that you discount things that are happening in the external world. You just don't take them as seriously as you would normally. And so therefore, when something germinates somewhere, like Amazon is a good example, right? it germinated in 1994, Amazon didn't creep up on anybody, and suddenly, you know, in the era that we live in today, they're a trillion dollar company or approaching that and they're the 900 pound gorilla in a lot of things mostly not books, but that didn't creep up on anybody. They've been around and sort of people have been talking about Amazon and suddenly Amazon is now the threat, right? But there are a lot of companies that sort of sat back and said, you know, our business model is robust. They're a bookseller. There's not really much happening over there. We'll just keep doing what we do.
2: I love that point about the inside out versus the outside in view of the world. I think we've all seen organizations that have an inside out mentality. They don't need to learn from outside. They don't need to listen to anybody. Again, you can't really miss that in some of the things happening in the White House. We also see this in business all the time.
1: Stephen talked about Amazon and how many in the retail industry have been remarkably slow to realize they're living in a different world. And then there's the case of Blockbuster, which was driven out of business by Netflix, but Netflix approached Blockbuster about doing a deal and were rushed aside. So that is another cost of having an inside-out view of the world. Something else that Stephen told us in our podcast is that it's vital for all of us to have quality relationships, not just in our personal lives, but also at work. He talks about why empathy is so important for leaders and for the rest of us.
3: A lot of people overestimate the quality of their relationships. They think if they've gone and had a coffee with somebody, somehow that relationship is in a good place. And really, relationships are broken down into two categories, transactional and what we would define as empathy-based relationships. And the the test of your relationship is when something goes wrong, does the does your counterparty, you know, point the finger and assign blame? Or do they give you a heads up proactively and try to work the problem and solve the problem with you? And in, you, you have to work to build empathy-based relationships. These just don't happen having coffee with somebody, right? You basically, what you need to do is help somebody when you don't want something in return. And we kind of live in a world today where, you know, everything is quid pro quo, but there are some special people inside organizations that look to co-author things or to allow the other person to be the sole author. And they are the person behind the curtain, supporting, removing obstacles, problem solving and helping
1: them be successful. Stephen Miles on C-Suite Intelligence.
2: I love that point he makes. Building relationships requires doing favors for people, helping them out in ways where you're not really looking for some immediate reciprocity. You're, You're not looking for a quid pro quo, as the popular term of the moment has it.
1: Yeah, the hashtag quid pro quo. That <laughs> <laughs> seems to show up everywhere on Twitter. One other thing that Stephen said in a different episode of C-Suite Intelligence was about the need to separate the idea from the person. And this is something you talk about a lot, Jim, when you say that, you know, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean they're evil,
2: yeah, a business is a great example of an institution that benefits from conflict. In my career, I've always tried to make sure that since I'm a very positive person, you know, maybe too much, a little bit of a Pollyanna, I kind of like having a few sort of dark, pessimistic people around me to say, oh, well, come on, Jim, hold on a second. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Stephen would certainly agree. He talks about the the hazards of groupthink.
3: Not every topic needs to be sort of taken to the mat, I think, look, if you look at collaboration and the highest levels of collaboration, I think a lot of our next generation leaders over collaborate. They spend too much time together and too much time in the topic and you kind of get groupthink forming. You know, the best version of collaboration is we all go away and do our individual work and then we come together at milestone moments and we share our individual work in order to advance the whole. If we're in one of those milestone moments where we've done our individual work and now we're coming together to advance the whole, that's a place where it's good to get some debate around what it is we're doing here and what are our individual conversations. And that allows you to sort of eliminate elements of groupthink and advance the conversation.
1: Because companies and big organizations are not democracies.
3: Again, I think you're onto a a super important topic, which is I think that there's a lot of executives roaming around who think it is a democracy and everybody has an equal vote. That's actually not the case. If you're the leader, the best thing you can do is triangulate This individual work that's gone on because you're collaborating very well, and when you're in a collaborative point in time and the topic requires discussion and debate, that you're triangulating those individual points of view around the table in order to form your own point of view and your own decision making. And it allows for an environment where there's engagement, right? there's participation, but I think you have to be clear both as the leader and as the follower and the the followers inside the organization that this isn't a democracy, but I get to air and vet my points of view.
1: Stephen Miles talked there about triangulating, which I wasn't sure exactly what that meant.
2: This is a great concept. I learned a lot about management from my stepfather-in-law who worked in the insurance business. So a triangular relationship is when Bob comes to you, if you're the boss, and he says, oh, I'm having a lot of trouble working with Betsy on this project. She did this. She didn't do that. And it's so tempting as the boss to say, oh, here, I'll talk to her. I'll fix this problem. And what my stepfather-in-law would always say was, instead of saying, I'll talk to Betsy, he'd say, well, what did Betsy say when you told her that? (laughs) So you basically send the person back out to negotiate directly with the other person.
1: You know what, Jim? It's, it's amazing what a wise leader you are.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so so a, another way to be a better leader and, and to improve results, and, and this goes for, gosh, even for families, is to avoid dull, long meetings that get nothing resolved. And one problem is they're often poorly prepared. What Stephen Miles calls the pre-read, the stuff you're supposed to read before the meeting is often either not done at all or done to such a great degree that nobody reads the stuff.
3: If anybody enters the meeting and looks around and said, why are we having this meeting? You should all just pick up your stuff and leave because you're going to have a bad meeting, A. And B, you're going to have another meeting because nobody came prepared for the meeting that you just had. I think part of meetings is is the fact that uh, you need to prepare for them right and, and look not every topic at every meeting but there are certain topics that require a pre-read and what happens most of the time is if you introduce this then you get the you know you get the Encyclopedia Britannica hard copy version of a pre-read right which is a thousand pages with you know mind-numbing amounts and you get it at 1 a.m. and your meetings at seven and you know nobody's reading that so therefore you're going to have a meeting that people are unprepared for, and I promise you, you're having another meeting. And then other times, you get into the meeting, you look around, and the person who's sort of critical to the
2: meeting isn't there, and they forgot to dial in. Guess what? You're having another meeting. I used to have a simple way to keep meetings focused. Do them standing up. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) My last magazine, we had a morning meeting looking at all the layouts of the stuff we were working on, Everything was on the wall. We all stood there. And so we got through everything we need to talk about in 15, 20 minutes. And that really kept everybody focused. Obviously, you can't always do that, but speed really matters. And I love his point that a meeting may be the most expensive thing a company does. It doesn't look like it, but you're tying up so much valuable talent in this conference room and often for very, very little result.
1: And another way to avoid having a bad meeting is put down that cell phone. You know, don't oh, geez. be distracted. Be present. It's How Do We Fix It. I'm Richard Davies.
2: And I'm Jim Meggs, trying to be present and keep up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're talking about leadership here and uh, more coming up. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. A lot about the mechanics of leadership, but there's something more fundamental, I think, which is the need for the man or woman in charge to have a moral compass and show this by behaving in an ethical way. Davia Temin talked about this in an earlier episode of How Do We Fix It?
0: No matter how big the organization is, it is going to be far easier for people to follow that person's lead when they are proud of their leader, when they are proud of their CEO. And I will tell you, I have spent my entire life working in corporate America and the corporate world. I believe in it. I believe in capitalism. I believe in market theory. I believe in all of this. And I also believe in ethical center and purpose. And I think that the two can be married, can work in Tandem. Why are ethics so important? Because they make the world go around. And they make the world go around uh, more importantly than money. But I think money can follow. We live in a world today of the Internet when news, information, and misinformation circuit the globe at the speed of light. This is different from any other time in history. But my rule is if you want people to know something, they won't care. If you don't want them to know it, they will care very much, and it'll be everywhere. So th- th- <laughs> <It's like laughs> right? Was, yeah, pretty good, pretty good uh, lesson. So if you are lying, it will be found out, and you will look that much worse because trust becomes the currency of the day. With this speed of light information flow, trust becomes the enabler of us to move on. Some people have called it the lubricant that makes our system work, and our markets work. And if you lie, and if it's found out, and it will be found out, trust is abrogated, trust is breached, and then you've got a whole nother game in your hands, a little bit like where we are in this country today.
2: So I'm interested in the psychology of of a crisis. On the BP oil platform that exploded in the Gulf of Mexico, it took them a couple of minutes to even turn on the alarms once the gas and oil started squirting out of the top of the well before it ignited. And they couldn't accept what was going on. This is something you see all the time in all kinds of disasters. Why is it so hard, not just for leaders, but for everyone at the early stage of a disaster to
0: accept how bad it could get? Well, as they say, denial is not just a river in Egypt. So my rule number one of crisis management is to deny denial. Because every human being, I don't care whether it's the chairman of a board or you and I, when something bad happens, the first thing we do is go into denial. This cannot be happening. If it's happening, it can't be happening to me. If it's happening to me, it's not that bad. If it's that bad, it'll be over really quickly. If it's not over quickly, no one will notice. If somebody notices, well, they won't pay any attention to it. And, and, and these, this cascade of denial goes on. So in a crisis, one of the things that is super important and also that makes a difference to how quickly the crisis can be addressed and, and gotten over is how quickly you deny denial and get into reality and when you're dealing with reality you can take many steps to start to address it immediately and that's what you have to do so how how
2: how do you how do you change your perspective
0: cuz you'd get training
2: right okay so i run an energy company and one of my plants just spilled a whole lot of oil into the hudson river
0: well I've got something that I call crisis games, and I've, I've patented it, trademarked it, and it is um, where people do role play, and you start to see in real time how you would react. Otherwise, all you know is what is in your own experience, and that's not good enough for crisis.
1: And stuff happens quickly,
0: right? Very quickly. And in Very your quickly. own
2: experience, these problems usually did blow over or get resolved. If you're good at what you do, you probably have never actually faced a full-blown Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I have because I get called in after other people.
2: I don't mean you, but I mean, the typical, you know, the typical airline pilot has never crashed a plane.
0: Right. But I think that today, by the way, I think that most leaders will face one or another large crisis. It will generally not be one that they're predicting.
1: Crisis communication and leadership expert Davia Taman.
2: So often we're seeing this critique of, of capitalism and, and um, this a lot of people you know advocating this wild shift to the left, assuming that anything that happens in business is automatically corrupt and unethical, but in fact unethical organizations usually don't do very well. They don't last that long.
1: Yeah, I'm going to push back with you, Jim. I'm not sure I totally buy that. I think there are organizations that are highly unethical, or at least in some aspects of their activities, that have done very well for a very long time. But I think perhaps they would do a lot better if they were more ethical.
2: But... There is a transparency now, so if an airline treats a customer very badly, that person could be on Twitter in a heartbeat. You know, yeah, um, yeah. the world's not fair; it doesn't always happen, but the risk is there.
1: Yeah, you know, we started this podcast talking about politics, and and I think perhaps we should end it there. Um, and I want to bring in this quote from Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York is something of a political independent, which is a bit of a rarity these days. And this is in relation to the uh, presidential race that's coming up. He said... I would argue that a requirement to be president of the United States is management experience. It's a management job, not a policy job, he says. Your ethics and your leadership is what makes management work. You cannot buy a book on skiing and go skiing double black diamonds. You have to pay your dues and work your way up slowly. What he's saying is is that experience matters. And I, I, I think that even if you kind of like some of what Trump has said, that that lack of experience has been a big part of the problem at the it, White House.
2: It is, and it's funny because, you know, his, 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 his image, his populist image was his brilliant business person, but he certainly lacks the, the discipline and the focus that you, we typically see in, in major business leaders. I'm going to end by, I'm going to surprise you with a, with a counter-observation. A big argument against... Obama, when he was running for president, is that he hadn't really ever done anything. He'd barely even been in the Senate very long. And we all know that being a senator is not really a management job. And yet, even for those who didn't agree with a lot of the policies, you have to admit he ran a fairly tightly organized and disciplined White House.
1: He did. He also ran a, a pretty ethical White House as well. The one aspect, though, that—
2: That's where I, so, I don't agree.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. Well, one area where he did fall down on, Jim, though, is, is goes right to the heart of that point by Michael Bloomberg, who said that being president is a management job, not a policy job. And when it came to managing the details of those policies— I would argue he wasn't very strong. Just one example was the launch of Obamacare, which, which was his signature legislative achievement, was a total disaster, and that was a management problem as opposed to a, a policy question.
2: Yeah, so you're 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 knocking me off my thesis here, and I think you've got an excellent point. Um, that was a classic management disaster. No CEO could have survived. Uh, a a botched rollout of a signature product the way that Obama easily survived the the blowback from uh, the rollout of Obamacare.
1: It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies, and we've been talking about leadership, why it's so important, and why sometimes the details, the everyday details, are more important than the grand vision. Thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits, and perhaps I'll borrow Jim's description of me as Podcast Whisperer. Thanks, Jim.
2: (laughs) Anytime, Richard.
1: (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?